your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Daniel Nugent Bowman. Daniel, what's going on, man? Hey, Dmitry. Nice to be on with you again. It's uh, kind of a weird time to, to be on with a nice gap in this series, but probably a good time to reset it, too, right? So I'm, I'm happy to come on and we'll. I'm sure we got lots to talk about with this crazy series. Yeah, on the one hand, I've really enjoyed all of the games and I look forward to it. I've been waking up in the morning and checking the NHL schedule to check if Kings Oilers is on uh, in that given night. At the same time, though, it is nice to have this break just to to reset a little bit, to reevaluate, to go back and look at some stuff and for us to talk about it, right? Because it gives us a little breathing room here. We can put this out. People can listen get ready for the game six on Saturday night. There's a, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. Um, So let's break down the the first five games here and kind of look at it from all angles, the good, the bad kind of stuff to consider what we've seen. I think from my, from my end, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you feel this way for all the talk about, you know, the Oilers reliance or over-reliance at times on this historically great power play. And certainly in this series that hasn't, changed right they have eight power play goals in like 20 minutes or so i don't know how many opportunities they've had but just a, a ridiculous rate of conversion so far in the series the story for me is actually how they've handled the kings at five on five um because the kings are a really good five on five team particularly defensively they dominate volume generally and in this series the oilers have had their way there a natural statric has them controlling 55 percent of the shots 55% of the high danger chances and 55% of the expected goals. And, you know, they weren't really getting anything to show for it in the first three games. And I think that's why the five on five goal differential is as tight as it's been in this series so far, cumulatively. But eventually you figure they would break through and Eunice Corpusala would stop saving literally everything. And that's kind of started to happen in these two most recent games where he gave up the three goals or whatever, then he gave up four and got pulled in the most recent one. And so that has to be encouraging from the Oilers' perspective and their viability in this postseason, not just for you know getting through this series, but potentially consolidating into a big run is the fact that beyond the power play, it really feels like the five-on-five play has carried over from the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, in the regular season, I think it was they tied for with Florida for having the fifth most five-on-five goals in the league. So they can produce at five-on-five, of mm-hmm. course. There's the defensive side of the game to consider at that uh, and that situation as well, and they've they've improved um, down the stretch, especially with the acquisition of, of Matthias Ekholm. Um, but you're right, Dimitri. Like the the series um, for the first half of this series, you know, two and a half, three games um, was that the Oilers were dominating at five on five, but just not having much or really anything to show for it. I think. Um, Jonas Corposalo was a huge reason for that, as you mentioned. Um, but there was so much um consternation about uh their five on five scoring, and they just said, you know, we we just got to keep doing this, and eventually, you know, they use the, the the term that uh, you know, pounding on the rock, and it'll eventually split. You heard that that analogy from Jay Woodcroft a mm. lot, and the players kind of uh took to it, um, and it did. Um, and I think a lot of it stemmed from. Um, you know, Connor McDavid had, had now is, is up to three, um, five on five points in the series, all being assists. Um, but he first game he dominated Phil Deneau, uh, head to head, and that's he just couldn't, couldn't, you know, produce. And and that's going to happen sometimes in hockey in a, in a short sample size. And now that it's getting the sample size is slowly getting bigger, uh, I think eventually, and it has uh, turned in the Oilers' favor. And, um, 
people don't think that there's you know we talk about momentum in series and, and it kind of depends on who you talk to that people think that there is there isn't uh, momentum that, that carries over from game to game but especially with this break I think that's kind of lost now and um, it's almost like there's a whole new series although it is a um, it is a, a clinching game or a, a you know an elimination game on Saturday um, but the others are going to have to make sure that they kind of continue to do what they have been doing in the series and, and hope that it, that it um, that it carries forward, you know, over, over the last over what has happened over the last couple of games in order for them to clinch and, and close up the Kings on Saturday. Right. Well, I think most notable for me, if you kind of take an even more uh, nuanced or deeper look at the five on five play and in tracking all of these games and kind of looking at how these teams are creating their shots. What's notable to me is off the rush. It's been very close that the Oilers have gotten slightly better uh, of the two. The forecheck, the Kings have been a little bit better in creating shots off that. But where the Oilers have really distanced themselves is actually off the cycle. Um, and I think that might not be something you necessarily think of when you think of the Oilers, right? Because their best player and their brand is Connor McDavid. He does a significant part of his damage off the rush, on the move. He's the best skater in the world. And so you think of them kind of playing fast and particularly uh, in earlier stages of Oilers hockey when they were kind of more run and gun high scoring. That's what you would think of when you think of Oilers games. And in this series, they've really punished the Kings kind of on the ground, so to speak, right? Like they, they've, they've had these long stretches in the offensive zone where they're cycling the puck around, getting into the front of the net, getting chances. And through these five games, I've got the shots off the cycle at 51 to 30 for the Oilers at five on five, which is a pretty massive gap. And so Maybe that speaks to, you know, uh, I said earlier, it, they, they, they kind of take the identity of their best player, which is Connor McDavid. In this series, their best player has been Leon Dreisaitl, and he does a significant part of his damage through that cycle game. And so maybe that kind of speaks to, to that element as well, where he's really sort of left his fingerprints on this series and taken over. And that's reflected by the way the Oilers are creating a lot of their chances. Yeah, I think there's just a couple uh, points to touch on there for me. And, and I think you're right that, you know, the Oilers have, have traditionally been known, you know, in the Connor McDavid era, especially recently as, as a rush team. Um, there's no question. <laughs> Everyone knows what he can do off the rush. Yes. I think Dreisaitl is, is a little bit that way too. Not not quite the same, but he likes to dish off the rush. rush mm-hmm. great chance especially off the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And um, and they have the horses to be able to do that, uh, led by those two. But, you know, I, I put Ryan Nugent Hopkins kind of in that vein, shooting off, off the wing and, and things of that nature. But, um, to your point, there's no one uh, there. There aren't too many players in the league that can protect the puck down low like Leon Dreisaitl, and you've seen that this this series where he's kind of had his way with, with the Kings, um, uh, in, in down low, and um, you know, working in. Uh, I think it's just been game one where they've had twelve dressed 12, 12 forwards, and so you know, Dreisaitl has been put on lines with guys like Derek Ryan and Clean Costin. Um, you know, Derek Ryan can produce a little bit off the rush, but you know, he's a bottom six forward you know fourth line forward um you know he's not the biggest or fleetest of foot so you know that more so uh his offense would would come from from being in in the zone and and clean Austin is certainly uh you know a banger and you've got a typical fourth line winger and and they've had some success by by doing that as well so when you're kind of mixing and matching different forwards and, and certainly Connor mcdavid has um has played with with bottom six guys in the series too um, you know, he's if he's not going to dish to Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Vander Kane or Dreisaitl, you know, off a rush, um, he's got to kind of um, work with other guys 
uh, to create offense. And, and they, you know, to your point earlier about how the Oilers have, have um, controlled uh, more of the play and significantly more of the play than, than the Kings, they've had to do it in other facets. And um, I think they're, they're completely, uh, you know, they, they've dominated the series at, at five on five. It's been happening since game one, but now I think they're starting to wear out the Kings um, you know, in this, in these last couple of games and, and should be able to kind of continue on whether it's in game six or, or game six and seven. Well, there was, there was a sequence in the most recent gaming game five that really sticks in my mind is very emblematic of, of what drives is doing and also what, where the Oilers have had success. I think it was in that second period, it was still while the, while the game score was quite close. And I think it was the, it was like the minute leading up to Nick Bukestad's first goal where Dreisaitl's line had this shift where he was kind of cycling the puck low in the zone, keeping a defender off his back. They did a little handoff. It worked down the zone. Costin passed it out front, and it was a great A chance. And then they recovered it, and Dreisaitl did the same move again, essentially, where he kind of was working his way up to the blue line and then spun back and got a good good scoring chance off. And, and that sort of sustained pressure, eventually the dam broke. Or, or what was the metaphor you said that, that Woodcroft uh, likes to... Pounding like, on the rock and it yeah, will split. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the ultimate pounding on the rock until it split and eventually it led to a goal, right? And, that, and that's sort of how they've done a lot of their damage at 5-1-5 in this series. And the Dresetto component is so fascinating to me because I had a, a listener, I did a mailbag yesterday and one of the questions we didn't get to was some, from someone sort of noting this exact, phenomenon of how he's doing it and and the problems he's giving the king's defenders and it was like how do you how do you match up against this or how do you defend it right because it's it's been so dominant he's basically been able to get to wherever he wants on the ice and if he's gonna you know if he's gonna do this there almost is no right answer i would say where the kings to my eye have gotten themselves in trouble a little bit is it's very easy to to get puck watching when he starts putting on these displays right so if like he's got one of your teammates just on his back and he's just ragdolling him around the zone with the puck probing and waiting for something to open it's very easy to kind of gravitate towards that or start watching it and then all of a sudden what he really wants to accomplish is for whoever you are covering to be able to sneak back door or sneak open for a pass because he ideally i think for all the goals he scores and and for the one-timers and everything I think he really relishes being a payment playmaker and passing. And so it takes very like sustained defensive zone discipline and attention to detail, which when you have these long shifts where you're spending 90 straight seconds chasing and they're dominating in that fashion, it's really tough to do. So I guess it's a long winded way of saying good luck is the right strategy, but it's also, it's just really tough to sustain that type of defensive effort. And, and eventually the, the, the rock will break or whatever the, the metaphor is. Yeah. And I mean, Leon Dreisaitl, um for his, all his goals, I mean, he's, he's has the most goals in the league in the last five years. Um, so that time likes to call him a pass first 50 goal mm-hmm. score. And, and Dreisaitl even <laughs> says that like, you know, when he came into the league and it's still even this way, like he's looking past first to your point, Dimitri, like he's, he's more of a, for fifty goal score, he's more of a setup guy, and I mean, I think Connor McDavid is even like that for a sixty goal scorer this year. So, um, yeah, they're certainly trying to create offense and and a lot of different ways. Um, uh, you know, I, I think they've had a lot of success in this series. They just up until the last couple of games, haven't been able to produce the way that they wanted to. Um, thankfully, they've had the the power play to to kind of get them out of a lot of jams or or uh, kind of augment their offense or or what have you. Um, but uh, yeah, I think for for all the kind of flash and dash that this team kind of is known for, 
as I mentioned, they still have, you know, Dry Settle who likes to play down low, Sack Hyman in front of the net, Evander Kane. Uh, so they do have some guys that can that can kind of play down low and off the cycle while having a lot of guys that can produce off the rush. So they're a pretty dangerous offensive team. I don't think I'm I'm uh, <laughs> kind of uh, providing you too much expert analysis there when you look at the no, offense, uh... but yeah, yeah. I think it is notable, though, because the Kings are a very, very good defensive team. And I think even the public metrics don't necessarily do justice to to how good they were defensively this year. And it, they do it in a number of ways, right? They they pressure you very aggressively in defensive zone, but also they they very rarely let you get there in the first place. I think we saw that during last year's series against the Oilers, where that, that, that Vaughn did 1-3-1 neutral zone trap of theirs really gave the Oilers trouble because, because of how compromised Dreisaitl was physically skating on one leg basically mcdavid was the only player who could consistently break through that right there were there were these flashes of individual brilliance where he would just take the puck and weave through three different guys and get it into the zone and get a scoring chance off of it but pretty much anyone else that had to handle the puck was just instantly being pressured and having to get rid of it and so they were playing much more of a sort of uh low possession dump and chase type of game compared to this series and the reason why that's the case is because Dreisaitl is moving just so much better, right? How many times in the series have we seen him be the one carrying the puck through the zone and navigating that one-three-one? And that's why I think that is notable. And it's allowed them to get set up in the offensive zone much more frequently and allow that cycle game to flourish. So it is—it's a different brand of hockey, right? Because it's—it's still on the move and off the rush, but then it's allowing them to to set up and set up shop in the offensive zone. And so I think. That's why I wanted to note that because it is, it looks different compared to last year, right? The Oilers were down three, two at this point in the series, but it was still kind of close in this fit in this fashion. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this series go seven by any means, but it just looks differently to my eye. And I think this is a big reason why. Yeah. And, and, and last season or last series rather, um, I think the, as you mentioned, everything kind of turned when, when dry settle got his high ankle sprain in first, mm-hmm. at, toward the end of the first period in game one. And that's to your point when Connor McDavid really took over the series. It's like those two games, game six and seven, the points might not have been as astronomical as we've you know we've seen from a you know back to back games and other facets of a regular season or whatnot. But I think those were the two kind of best all around games I've ever seen him play like consecutively. Well, he also uh, played he... like what twenty seven and twenty four minutes or something like that in those two yeah, yeah. regulation yeah, games. It was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And I mean, they lost Drysaddle for a few minutes there and in game six when he went off toward the end of the, at the end of the first period. But yeah, they were trying to kind of figure out what to do with dry subtle. And, and at that point he was no longer centerman. He was a winger. Right. So they, they had to kind of shuffle the deck a little bit, but um, yeah. And, and to your point about the Kings, Dimitri, like I, I was saying for a couple, three weeks before the playoffs started, that the Kings would, were the, the worst matchup for the Oilers of any team. I thought that, you know, they had a realistic chance of playing. And, you know, part of that is, is their, they're one three one um kind of neutral zone um you know the passive you know passive kind of neutral zone play that they have uh the other was that they have two really good two-way centers and and uh Kopitar and, and Deneau that have given you know McDavid and Dry settle some some troubles before and um I think if they can get through the series uh, which is no by no means a guarantee yet but I, I think it's it's looking pretty good for the Oilers obviously but if they can get through um this could really kind of free them up to um, kind of go on a, on a long run here. And, and uh, um, you know, uh, I, I, I thought uh, the last two games they played against the Kings were a really good, um, good test for the Oilers and uh, being able to kind of beat them at their own game. And um, 
you know, they've been able to do that a little bit in this series, but kind of put their stamp on this on on the way that they want to play um, a little bit more too. And and I think that's a good sign for this team. Well, the Vegas betting markets agree with you because the <laughs> Oilers have been a pretty heavy favorite heading into every one of these games, including being a massive favorite heading into game five. And, and it's uncharacteristic for a series that's been this close on the scoreline where, you know, one team in the Oilers was very close to going down three, not three, one potentially. Um, for for them to be the ones that are favored now obviously you know they've had home ice to start the series they have the star power the name brand recognition i think they're kind of like a public team in that regard but i i think the the betting markets are pretty sharp in terms of like understanding what's happening how the game's being played who's getting the better of it even if the score doesn't always reflect it and so i think that that's an interesting thing to note but one last thing on on, on the king's sort of de- defense um and to tie it together at the end of the regular season, I had a, a a very good NHL player, let's say a star player who's not playing in the series, tell me that the Kings were by far the most frustrating team to play in the entire league. Um, and it's just a miserable experience because it feels like, and, and he said, it feels like you're playing five on six at all times because, and that's not a, not a dig by the way at the officials uh, or, or getting calls or that. It, it, just, it's, it feels like whenever you turn, there's almost two guys on you and there's just never any real kind of breathing room, particularly in the neutral zone to, to skate the puck up the ice. And so it's just constantly, it's just a constant barrage of pressure of feeling like someone's breathing down your neck. And so it's just said it was a miserable experience. And so um, having two guys who can kind of unlock that a little bit and create space certainly helps. And and that's a unique thing for the Oilers, but um, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, um, a relevant take for you to say that, oh, the Oilers are, are, are creating good offense because not very many teams could do this to this version of the Kings. So I, I just wanted well, to say that. Yeah, well, the other thing is, you know, I talked to an executive before the, the playoffs and he was saying that, um, you know, the Kings were were scary for the Oilers because, you know, now they have a goalie. And, and the, the, the struggles for the Kings in the first half, two-thirds of the season was because yep. of – you know, you, you hate to say it with, with Jonathan Quick, you know, potentially being a Hall of Famer, but he just, you know, he didn't have it. And obviously Cal Peterson and the minors. And uh, now they had and they have, uh, you know, a competent goalie back there. It just kind of uh, solidifies an already very good team. Right. So, um, yeah, they were they were uh, and still are like a formidable opponent, obviously, for the Oilers. And um, it's uh, they've given. They've given them a heck of a test, even though the Oilers have have been able to um, be the better team. But like you said, they were they sure looked uh, like after the first period of Game Four that the Oilers were in were in serious trouble. And obviously, they were able to come back and 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 uh, overcome that three nothing deficit and win that game and and you know handle Game Five pretty pretty solidly there. So um it should be enough reason to to believe that the Oilers should get through the series but stranger things have happened this series has been the most unpredictable so uh, yeah we'll we'll see what happens on well, Saturday we, I was gonna say we should I should caution against us uh speaking in past tense so much uh because yeah. yes. it, it's, it's still certainly uh up in the air yeah uh well okay let's talk about kind of what changed there you mentioned for first period game four heading into an intermission right the Oilers are down three nothing they're playing on the road on looking at the potential of going down three, one in the series. And up until that point, Drysaddle and McDavid had played one minute and 42 seconds combined at five on five together to start the series. Since then in games four and five, they've played nearly 30 minutes together. They've created four goals. I should mention that prior to that McDavid without playing with Drysaddle had zero 
five on five goals, despite creating some chances along the way. And so let's talk a little bit about that adjustment, because that's something that ever since Woodcroft took over, uh, I think astutely has fought the urge to, to turn to, right. Unless it's been born out of necessity. So in last year's first round series, just acknowledging that Dresetto could not keep carrying his own line and handling all of the facilitating and all the center duties, he put him on McDavid's wing and just said, we need McDavid to physically at least carry us for large stretches of this. And it worked out, but generally health permitting throughout the regular seasons, they've been about as divided as they ever have in their careers. And so after three games of a series, obviously being on the ropes presents one of those unique challenges, but they were also pretty, pretty quick to do so. And the fact that they've gotten these types of results, I'm curious for your take on whether this is a, a series dependent thing where, you just want to get through this because of the unique challenges the Kings pose defensively. And this is working. You just stick with it and ride it to the finish line. And then if you play, let's say Vegas or something in round two, then you go back to the drawing board and potentially go back to square one, or just because of the success of this, do you think this is something that we'll see now more of moving forward, regardless of the opponent? Yeah. And I think um, you're right. I think it's been an astute move by, by Woodcroft um, because the, of those two king centers um it gets gets those two players away from one of them and it you know uh, in game five that was philip to know they, they saw a lot of their ice time against onsay kopitar and onsay kopitar for as good as he is can't check both of them at the same time um and and so it, it kind of frees up one of them to, to create damage and then not only that but they have a vander kane on that line who Although battling clearly is battling some some type of injury, uh, has scored in the last couple of games, so um, it's worked out. I think you know well it has in, in those previous game and a half or the previous game and a half, but I think it's a situation where um, it should just last for this King series. I'm with you. I, I mean, it doesn't really make sense to have those two guys that could play center and dry settles not hurt, um, like it was last year. That is uh, to be on their own lines unless it's born out of necessity. Woodcroft, to your point, has not done it much in the regular season. He did it, I think it was in December. He had a good stretch where he played um, those two with Hyman for, for a while. Um, Evander Kane, of course, was out with his with his wrist injury. And they mostly used a patchwork second line of like Ryan Nugent Hopkins with um, with uh, Matias Yanmark and Clean Costin. So uh, that line was just on a, on a heater. And so he kind of rode that. Uh, everyone knew that Clem Costin wasn't going to keep pumping in goals, and even Matias Janmark wasn't either, right? So he kind of rode the hot hand, uh, allowed those guys to do their thing for a while. But eventually, uh, we all knew that you know that wasn't going to be the case, and um, it, those McDavid and Drysaddle were going to be um, split up. And that's to the benefit of the Oilers, right? They, again, you can't have those two guys really uh, together if if you want to have a you know a deep um kind of sustainable offense uh, uh, you know spread uh, you know throughout two three four lines so um i think uh, you know I, I liked what or i have liked what jay woodcroft's done i think that move has been uh been very helpful to the oilers i mean the, the start of game five really kind of th those guys took over I, I would say they weren't perfect I mean, david lost his check on a couple of goals against um and you know the you know, kings got a couple of of, uh, of goals because of that but um, you know, the way that they they kind of um got the ball rolling for the Oilers in, in game five was um I think was really beneficial to their win. 
Um, I don't see any reason why he would split those guys up for game six. I mean, stranger things have happened, but um, it seems like it, it's, a, it's a good formula for trying to beat the Kings when uh, you can take one of their two best um, centermen kind of uh, out of the mix and um, allow those two guys to, to have a little bit more, um, you know, have a, a stronger chance to drive play together at five on five. Well, I was going to say one of the biggest perks for McDavid has been that in these two games, it's really gotten him away from Deneau's coverage. And even in game four, where the Kings theoretically, you know, had last change and could dictate the matchups, a significant portion like of that game at five on five was spent with away from that assignment. And I'm not sure why Todd McClellan prefers to have Kopitar's line on the two of them. I think it's a, I think maybe he feels like from a physicality perspective, just having Victor Arvidsson and Trevor Moore, who are kind of like two, you know, smaller, under more undersized guys compared to Kopitar, Kempe, and Byfield when he was on that line. Maybe he just feels like they wouldn't be able to hold up fully in that matchup. But for whatever reason, they've gone away from him. To, you know, Kempe scored a lot of goals in this series, and he's getting a lot of chances. But to my eye, that know Arvidsson more line has also been their most dangerous uh, offensive unit as well in terms of just buzzing around the zone and creating sustainable chances. And so maybe that's part of the logic, but I'm very curious to see heading into game six, if the Oilers are going to stick with this combination with Trace Ella and McDavid together, whether McClellan is going to kind of che- the, revise his plan and try to get to unit out there more because whatever they're doing right now isn't really working in my opinion. And the fact that, you know, you mentioned in game one, McDavid got the better of him, but wasn't getting the puck luck to to reflect it. We're on, what, 11 or 12 playoff games the past two series now, where when Dano and McDavid have played head-to-head 5-on-5, five five, it's 80 minutes worth of ice time. The Oilers have generated one goal in that time. At some point, it's like, all right, this is this is working for the Kings. They should keep trying to get to this. And for whatever reason, yeah. the past two games, they they haven't really found a way to do so. And I'm, I'm curious if if that dictates their game plan more in game six at home than it has so far. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. And, um, you know, McClellan did try to tinker a little bit, like he moved by field off that line. Yeah, I follow pretty quickly. And it actually resulted in, in a goal, got the Kings back to 2-1. I follow scored when David kind of lost them there, uh, his check. But, yeah, it, it has been interesting because Deneau is the one guy, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, a two-way centerman. I shouldn't say the one guy, but a guy that can skate with McDavid. Like he's mm-hmm. a bright skater, right? Like, so, um, especially if McDavid's the guy that's going to be carrying the puck, guess he's wanting to do and, uh, and create off, try to create off the rush. Like you think you'd want to have to know on him um, to, yeah. I mean, Kopitar is certainly the, the bigger, more physical, more experienced player, but um, yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting to see what McClellan does. Cause I, I don't, as I mentioned, like I don't see Woodcroft, you know, splitting up that line now. I'd be, pretty surprising if he did um I, I think you're you're probably riding with that line until uh the series is over one way or another and then if the Oilers obviously advance maybe switching it up in, in the second round yeah so, um yeah sorry Dimitri, go ahead. oh no I, I was gonna say like mcdavid's ultimately gonna get his eventually right like he's just he's too good and creates too much on the on the move all you can really do is provide some sort of barrier to at least make his life more difficult in doing so and some sort of resistance and to know does that so well right and and it's he's like tracking them all over the ice too it's like deep in in the king in the oilers defensive zone at times he's like just picking them up and kind of letting them know he's there I, I, it's probably one of those things i was saying earlier where 
that's the, the that five on six phenomenon where you look over your shoulder and fill the nose just randomly there and you're like but how how did he get here i thought i thought he was on the bench and, and he's just oh, constantly in your space and so that must be very annoying for a player like david and i think that's why um those numbers are the way that i are that they are all right uh Daniel, let's take our break here. And then when we come back, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the series and some of the other things to consider. Uh, looking ahead to game six, you are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast with Daniel Legion talking Kings Oilers during this big extended break between games five and six in the series. Um, Daniel, so you know, we talked a little bit about especially at the start of the series, how McDavid's line wasn't generating five on five goals, how they're getting outscored still for the series, even after this adjustment, the Oilers are getting outscored at five on five with McDavid on the ice. And the reason I bring that up isn't to knock McDavid's play, but to point out that how just previously, as recently as I think last year it would have been unthinkable in a series like this for the Oilers to be uh, winning a series and on the precipice of closing it out. Uh, given that fact, right, just how reliant they were on him to to do the heavy lifting, um, how big a, a share of the offense he was responsible for. And so I think that's a good segue for us here to talk a little bit about the, about the bottom six, or I guess, you know, more aptly the bottom five um, in this case with uh, after Matthias Yamark's injury, but their play has been, phenomenal i think that is a big differentiator between the quality of this club and the kind of their viability in the postseason this year compared to past incarnations right uh it's the fact that they're not so reliant on one line anymore that they can at least keep their head above water when their best players aren't on the ice and that's you're never going to be able to replicate the the ability and the game-breaking potential that your star players have but at least not just having it all completely um, given away the second they step off the ice and go on the bench is such a big deal for this team. And the fact that that's not only the case, but they're actually winning their minutes the way that they are, I think is 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 a, a huge revelation. Um, not necessarily a surprise because they were playing that way at the end of the regular season, but just seeing it in this format is a big deal. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think back to when Dave Tippett was hired as coach, like the Oilers were... Um, you know, their bottom six was a, was a train wreck. And even as they started making the playoffs under Tippett, uh, you know, they were getting outscored pretty substantially with, without McDavid or Dreisaitl on the ice. It was like, it was to the point where you basically have to have one of them on the ice. Or you're well, I think, I think for years yeah. there, they had like a 38 to 40% goal share at five on five without either of them on the ice, which is just like, regardless of how good your top two lines are, if that's the case, you're not going to win very many games it's staggeringly bad, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's brutal. And, and that's, it's slowly shifted over the years to the point where really uh, under Jay Woodcroft, um, since he's been hired last, uh, last February, it's, it's kind of come out on the other end. And um, I think part of that is, is Woodcroft kind of, you know, some of these guys a bit more, you know, whether it's, you know, Ryan McLeod, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who's kind of, obviously he's been a fixture in the top six. He's now kind of, due to lack of production and, you know, injuries and all sorts of things. I think he's, he's fallen out and I think he'll be part more part of that bottom six now. Um, um, certainly has kind of 
relied more on a guy like uh, Derek Ryan than than, mm-hmm. than Dave Tippett ever did. Um, it, yeah, the bottom six is, is certainly much better and, and a key part of of the others having the success that they that they have and and have had. Um, it would yeah, you're, it would have been unthinkable to to think that you know or to, to see that Connor McDavid be outscored at five and five and the others should be winning a series like uh in the past well they wouldn't have gotten to the playoffs first of all but uh you know they would have been out pretty quickly and um i i think that speaks to the the type of um of this team uh that that is constructed or has been constructed uh is it perfect no uh i you know i, I think they there could be some tweaks uh that, that need to be made in the offseason to augment it a little bit more but this is certainly the best team that that the OS have had in Connor McDavid's you know eight years here, and um, it uh, it's you know the five and five is a big reason. I I, th- I thought we were going to get to the power play. I think we still probably will because that's a, certainly a big reason uh, for their success too, right? So uh, there's that that well, combination has certainly put the OS in a good spot. I don't know if we will get to the power play. I mentioned earlier that it has like eight goals in twenty minutes or something so far. I don't. Do we have anything? Uh, you know, uh, new or revolutionary to bring up about it. It's like, yes, they're it's literally the best unit that has ever existed uh, since we've been keeping track of stats in hockey. So I don't really, uh, you know, they'd probably come down a little bit because I wouldn't expect anyone to keep scoring at this rate, but it based on the regular season, it will still be very good. And as long as they keep drawing power play opportunities and, and you will, when you have, when you're playing with this type of speed, and having the puck as often as they are, I think that's a big part of this conversation maybe, right? Like it, it for all the talk about what happens to penalty rates in the playoffs and how, oh, you can't rely on it the way you can in the regular season because if you stop getting calls, then you're kind of, you're out of luck. The differentiator here is just having the puck, especially sort of deep in the zone off the cycle and, and leaning on it as much as the Oilers have been in this series. That should theoretically, in my opinion, lead to more, power plays just because eventually you're going to get some sort of an obstruction or a hook or, you know, something that happens just because that's what happens when you have the puck. It's much easier to draw a power play as opposed to when you're chasing it. Right. So I think that would, that should lead to some added confidence as well, that even if the five one five doesn't keep being as good as it's been in this series, they should still get power play opportunities moving forward, probably even more so than they did in the first couple of games of this matchup. Well, yeah, and exactly. And that, I was going to mention that earlier. We got talk, talking about something else, but I, I think that has been a key factor in them, you know, winning these last couple of games and, and taking, taking over the series more on the scoreboard than just in terms of the play on the ice. And that, you know, game, um, game four, they had, was the first time uh, in the series where they had, you know, positive power play differential. Uh, I obviously just took the one penalty uh, call in overtime to have the, the you know, the up one, um, but them getting those power plays in the second period, they scored two power play goals of the three that they scored in the second period to, to mount their comeback. Uh, finally getting, you know, I don't want to say some calls in their favor, but finally kind of getting some, some calls in their favor, I guess, uh, has um, had allowed them to get back in this, into that game and, and into the series uh, from a wins and losses perspective. And certainly in game um, game five, they, I think, were just shorthanded the one time on a Darnell Nurse penalty. Um, and the power play scored, I think, twice uh, in game five. Um, so it's, you know, if they can get, you know, I, I put down, I did a little story before the playoffs about what it would take for them to get on, on a long run. 
And one of the factors to me was discipline, where their penalty kills not the greatest. It's, it's improved down the stretch, but not great. And we all know about their power play. So they they weren't the most particularly disciplined team in the playoffs last season. Uh, certainly in the regular season, you know, you'd think they'd have a lot more of a you know stronger power play differential, given that you know Connor McDavid could probably draw five penalties a game if if you called the rule book the way uh, you know to the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know they finally got the beneficiary of of you know the the, the calls or the you know the, the power play differential that is uh, game, at the, toward the end of game four and that has uh, swung the series as well because their power play has just been almost automatic really in this in this playoffs. Yeah, it really has. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So I want to go back to to the bottom five or six. Uh, just yeah, because sorry, I got it, us off track there. You know, it, it, no, but it's very, it's very apt that I'm like, all right, let's give them some credit. And then all of a sudden we go in this digression talking about McDavid, Dre on the power play. And it's, it's, it's kind of a, a fitting in terms of how uh, attention or credit is typically doled out in these things. Right. But I, I do think it, it's notable because so they've had McLeod, Fogel or Ryan or, or, or and Ryan, I should say, those three out on the ice is a line for 22 minutes. Shots are 19 to three foilers in that time. Goals, one nothing. McLeod, Fogel, and Bukestad, 15 minutes. Shots are even, but no goals have been scored. Ryan and Costin, and then one of either McDavid or Dreisaitl basically playing as uh, getting an extra shift. 15 minutes, shots 9-2, goals 2 nothing. And you put that all together, and the big deal there is they're just not giving anything up when those guys are on the ice, right? And that is a huge luxury because then all that really leaves for you is, all right, our top guys get out there. Even if they're not dominating at 5-on-5 on the score sheet, they should theoretically be able to win those matchups just because of how good they are. And if our bottom six isn't getting caved in, all of a sudden you're kind of cooking with gas there, right? That That's a winning formula in the postseason. And so for the, for that unit to be out there and you see the the utility of when you load up the top line, someone else needs to step up on the second line, right? And you in game five, you get Bukestad stepping up there, playing with RNH and Hyman, looks perfectly fine in that role. Um, and so I do think that's notable in this series because heading in, you would have figured, all right, the Oilers have the star power, but the Kings are one of the deepest teams up front in the league, right? They're going to have the depth advantage. They should be able to win the bottom six minutes, especially with some of the young talent they have there, right? Velarde comes back. Fiala's now playing in their bottom six uh, the past couple games. Even Grunstrom and Rasmus Kupari have skill and have looked good and flashed at times. So you'd think, all right, if we're mapping this out, this is where the Kings just hold even in the top six and then win those minutes and you should be fine. And they've held even relatively, especially when McDavid's been out there. But unfortunately, the bottom six, they just haven't been able to, to get any sort of edge in that. And I think that should be a bit surprising, but also a big reason for why this series is the way it is right now. Yeah, well, you, as you mentioned, in the, the McLeod, Fogel, and Ryan Lights line has been has been dominant, has been dynamite. Uh, they've done very well. The other factor is, as you've touched on, and we've touched on, like Derek Ryan and Clem Costin. And Clem Costin kind of gets lost a little bit as games go go on. His ice time starts getting reduced, but. When they play together, it's usually with dry settle and occasionally McDavid. They'll, they'll, you know, all of a sudden that that's not a four, really a fourth line anymore, right? And right. so um, Woodcroft will sneak those guys out against the Kings' fourth line, and the Kings' fourth line is clearly one that Tom McClellan doesn't have a lot of faith in. Um, you know, they've they've tried different guys, whether it's um, Anderson Dolan or or McEwen, and they, so they haven't really found that twelfth forward. Byfield, 
uh, last game just plummeted down the lineup. He started, obviously, and has played a lot of, uh, on Ansi Kopitar's wing uh, and then dropped to the third line pretty quickly and was on the fourth line by the end of the game. And, and then you have Rasmus Kupari. So um, when you have the type of, of luxury, of, I guess, of going with 11 forwards and, and using McDavid or Dreisaitl, or you can even slot, and I think they have occasionally, like slot, put Derek Ryan at center for, for a bit and, and throw... Uh, one of the other top wingers, whether it's, you know, Zach Hyman or Nugent Hopkins or whatever, um, as part of a fourth line, then that, that that suddenly gives that bottom six for shifts here and there a bit more juice too, right? So um, that that helps with going with 11-7. And, and, and even now, you're probably going to see, again, Kyler Yamamoto get a few more, uh, or more ice time and more of a role in the bottom six. And for, or, you know, his production hasn't been anywhere close to where uh, he's wanted or where the team probably wants, but, um, you know, certainly a guy that, that can, that can forward check and, and play uh, pretty well in the offensive zone, you know, at least before the puck gets uh, into a scoring area. So, um, you know, I, for it's good and, and you're right, like the Kings from a purely depth perspective should have a, you know, a deeper forward group than the Oilers, but uh, the way Jay Woodcraft's been able to kind of, mix and match and, and have a, a third line right now and McLeod Fogel and Ryan that he that he trusts like um I think the orders are getting more out of the the bottom six than the Kings yeah they certainly foil their plans and and you know the goals are three nothing in those minutes I think every single one of those goals if Ryan scores or if Costin scores it's found money right for the most part I would say just literally playing into a draw and, and in this case like keep spending entirety of a shift in the offensive zone where you've got them pinned you're tiring them out and then all of a sudden you can send your big guns out there with the, a territorial advantage, just picking up where they left off is massive. And that's kind of how a lot of these games are transpired. So um, it's cool to see because it's obviously, you know, visually it's just, it's wildly different compared to what we've been accustomed to in past years. And I'm curious to see if that can continue, especially in uh, in future matchups. Uh, one final note here on the Oilers before we uh, get out of here, I do have to give my guy, Brett Kulak some love because he was phenomenal last postseason. I every single show I did talking about the Oilers, I was praising his game. He had I was tracking all the numbers at the time. He had the best numbers of pretty much any Oilers defenseman uh, in the in their matchups last year. And then he he fell off. He regressed this regular season, right? And I think part of that was especially before the Matthias Ekholm trade. I think a bit too much on his plate, being stretched a little thin, being asked to do too much, much like many other Oilers defensemen, and that's why the Ekholm trade made so much sense because it allowed everyone to fall into their more natural spots. And so I guess the, you know, on the one hand, he looks so good in these games and especially in game five, he's just flying, right? Like he had that one coast to coast rush. He seems to be involved every time he's out there. Good things are happening. He finally gets rewarded for, for the goal in that game as well. And so I think the temptation is like, all right, well, he's playing so well. We need to find a way to get him more minutes and bump him up the death chart and, and get him more involved. But I, I, if I, I, I would imagine that the way Jay Woodcroft is thinking about this and the way probably it makes sense is, well, we've seen kind of what that looks like and how you can get diminishing returns. And so you have to fight that urge a little bit because it feels like these ebbs and flows in his performance that I just mentioned can be directly attributed to the fluctuations in ice time. And this is probably where he should be to get the most out of his game. So I don't know. It's kind of like an interesting... Um, Interesting pros and cons oh, yeah. list. You're, yeah. you're kind of you're kind of trying to like, all right, I want to get him more out there more because everything 
good things are happening when he is, but then if I do it too much, then all of a sudden maybe that might not be the case anymore. And then we're going to be back to where we started and we want to avoid that. So um, it's a fascinating thing to kind of navigate. Yeah. He's a perfect number five defenseman and that's not, that's not a dig or anything. That's very, that's very valuable. There's not that many of them. You need need those players. He had a very good playoff last season with, with Tyson Berry, those two, you know, obviously you're not, you're not getting, uh, tough, the toughest matchups or, or whatnot, but you need those guys to play, you know, 15 minutes. And those are 15, you know, it's a quarter of the game. That's a very significant amount of game. And you need those guys um, to be effective. And and last season in the playoffs, um, Barry and, 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 and Kulak were, they were a great third pair. Um, to your point, yeah, they, so they lost Duncan Keith uh, to retirement uh because of cap issues and, and spending a lot of money on, on Jack Campbell, uh they weren't really able to shore that up. I mean they they spent money on Kulak too, bringing him back at a at a higher rate. Um well they never really had that class or you know that that number two left side defenseman. So they moved that pair right up. So they became from went from a third pair to a second pair. Um because they didn't really have the right partner for Evan Bouchard. So you're right. As soon as um Ekholm came in, he was kind of the Duncan Keith to uh, to Bouchard as you know as was the case last year, and, and they had uh, you know, a great second pair, and they can move Kulak back down to the third pair. Um, so I don't see a lot of opportunity for Brett Kulak to move up because on the left side you're not you know Darnell Nurse is a polarizing guy here, but uh, there's he's there paid to be their number one defenseman, and, and you know I, people can quibble about whether that now title belongs to Ekholm or, or whatnot, but anyway that it's Ekholm and, and, and Nurse on the, on the left side as your top two left side defensemen. What the what the good thing about Kulak is, is, you know, he's not moving up on that side, but he has moved up a little bit on the right side at times. He's played mm-hmm. a few shifts with Darnell Nurse. Uh, obviously, Vincent D'Arnais had his, has had his ups and downs in the series, big struggles in game four. Um, and they obviously slotted Broberg in for a while, but when push came to shove, they used five defensemen, and Brett Kulak was up. Again, with mostly with Nurse, but uh, playing the right side, and he can skate well enough, and, and move the puck well enough, and and be competent enough on the right side where um, uh, um, you can put him there. And so I think he's going to get little nuggets of of increased opportunity, um, but really he's your number five defenseman and a good number five defenseman, and that's a huge luxury for this Oilers team. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would be very fascinated to see him to to see Woodcroft manufacture more opportunities in that case uh, on the right side with Nurse just to 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 even out the ice time between him and CC a little bit. But yeah, the goal he scored, um, like it, it, he was definitely a long time coming and rewarded because I thought he'd been playing really well in the series prior. Like just, uh, I believe he leads the Oilers defenseman in in like controlled zone entries in this series. Uh, not that the Oilers defensemen are carrying in the puck much because they generally defer to their forwards, but just sort of, sort of shows like how well he's been skating and and moving it up the ice. Um, but that goal he scored was like a a teaching tool for young defensemen, right? Because I think it was after this extended offensive zone shift and the puck comes up to win the point, and instead of just you know wasting a shot by putting it from distance on on net, he kind of funnels it below the goal line 
allows the cycle to continue. And then as space opens up, he darts down, fills the lane, Ryan McLeod hits him and it's a beautiful goal. And that's, I, I was like, yes, this is what, this is the way you need to play in the modern game. And so it was cool to see um, that trend that transpire and him be rewarded for it. So I uh, just wanted to give him a little bit of a shout out there. Is there anything else um, in this series that you think is, is sort of notable here as we, uh, as we sign out that we didn't touch on yet? I don't, th- I mean, I guess the, the only other, facet is a big one and, and that's goaltending and we've had two goaltenders like goaltenders pulled in back-to-back games now obviously Skinner going up for the Oilers and, and Cobra Salo in game five so um I don't know I mean the offense has certainly been there for both teams I would expect that to to continue but you know aside from the one um real expectation that I have is is, is McDavid and Drysaddle staying together for for game six but otherwise I mean, expect the unexpected in this series, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's been, I haven't been able to watch the other series maybe as closely as you have, but uh, it seems like this one has been uh, the most entertaining and the most, like the, the one with the uh, the most well unpredictability, but, uh, but swings in it as well. So uh, hockey fans are getting their money's worth uh, watching this one. And, you know, I know we're out kind of in the Western part of the country, but for those in the East should Make sure should be staying up, up yeah. drink, drink, drink their coffee in the morning and whatnot. Yeah. No, no. Well, you should be drinking your coffee at night. You should, you should be uh, I, I was saying like, it's a, it's a must to survive as a hockey fan uh, during this part of the year. You need to be squeezing in as many afternoon naps as you can. Um, <laughs> even, even for myself here in the West coast. So um, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy this series. And I imagine if we look ahead and the, you know, the likelihood of, of an Oilers golden Knights series, it'll be played in a similar fashion, right? Though golden Knights are a bit of a different team, but also, depth high pace it'll be it'll be fun so this is uh this is what it's all about um daniel this was a blast man i'm glad we got to do this i'm glad we got to uh to use this weird extended break in the series to our advantage to to chat about it i'll let you plug some stuff on the way out and let the listeners know where they can check you out yeah just uh follow me at the athletic and on twitter at dnb sports and uh yeah the playoffs is a bit more of a of a day-to-day thing. So just keep following my coverage <laughs> stuff to, to plan too many features, which is kind of uh, what I like to do, but it's tough to do that uh, more so in the, in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. So uh, just keep following and uh, basically writing every day now. So um, enjoy it. And, and again, we shouldn't, shouldn't speak in past tense with the series because no, I don't think not. it's over yet. <laughs> no game six will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh that's my, that's my Saturday night, uh, Saturday night plans. Uh, Daniel, this is a blast. We're going to have to do this again soon. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you to the listeners for sticking around with us and hopefully they enjoy the show and we'll be back tomorrow with one more episode of the PDO cast to close out the week here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.